0: Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts helping you produce performance on purpose. For more information, go to our site qedod.com forward slash podcasts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So, Peter is a concert violinist, and you might be thinking, why would a concert violinist be someone I'd want to listen to? But uh, violinists um, are, and musicians have very interesting lives, and there's much we can learn from them. So, Peter, um, how are you today, first of all? Are you fine?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Yes, right. and um, I'm sitting here in southeast London, and um, so don't be worried if you hear ambulances or sirens going by, because I live on the A20. Do you live on the A20? Literally, yes.
0: Over Literally. the A20. Very good. Well, so I described you as a concert violinist. Is, is that fair? How, how would you... If
1: you had to tell someone what you did for a living, what, what, what would you say? I'd certainly say I'm a violinist. And depending on who, who, my, who that person may be, maybe I would say concert violinist if I felt I wasn't going to alienate myself from them in any way. Because I think, you know, there's... Well, Nigel Kennedy's tried to break down barriers. So many people have tried to break down barriers between different styles of music. And um, so I think I'd like to feel I play my part in that as well and try and encourage people to listen to music regardless of the genre. Um, and I think very often the way you introduce yourself can affect that. So I'm more likely to say I'm a violinist or if, if I'm amongst company who, would, who I know would like to hear a good old... Fiddle evening, or i a fiddler, you know. I'm, I'm quite versatile in that respect, I'd say.
0: Yes, I think you and I know the um, the slang term for violin has been fiddler, but not everybody would.
1: <laughs> no, no and, and many people think that the violin and the fiddle is a different instrument,
0: but of course it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, and you, I mean, I, I know a lot about you, obviously, but um, you famously bridge many, many different sorts of areas of music. So, I mean, you know, can you tell me, how would you describe
1: your range? My range. Well, I would say, um, I like most styles of music. Perhaps when it comes to playing a violin, I would have to draw the, viol- draw the line at things like heavy metal. Because, um, well, there are violinists who do that, of course. and, and um, But I, I wouldn't say that that would be my speciality. I would say it would go from the, the early Baroque music right up to the present day incorporating most styles and I like to do some swing and dabble in some jazz Um, but when it comes to the more metallic and uh, say not, I don't mean brutal but the hard element of the playing I'd say that for me the violin doesn't lend itself so readily towards that type of music i.e. heavy metal so I would say I think I would be involved in music in in the sense that everything that has a singing quality about it.
0: Right. So basically, you could be involved in rock music as a session musician playing yes. a backing track
1: or something along those lines. That's it, yeah. That's it, yeah. I could, you know, I could, I'm i that adaptable that I could do that.
0: So so if you had a, the, I'm sure there's no such thing as a typical week, but a week could involve doing some session music and maybe maybe even um, working in an orchestra, leading it, or playing in it. Yes. Eight. Yes. Um, Tell me how that works. I know you lead some orchestras. How how,
1: how does that work? Um, Well, basically, I would say that works over a period of time where you build up a reputation and people understand what type of musician you are, Um, whether you can read music well, you can be in the position of making decisions in the studio, for instance, about how a certain passage should be um, performed and articulated. You know, it's a special... Um, that's a special, uh, spe- a special job in itself, but I think you, know, you get the reputation for being a versatile musician, um, and that somebody can be called upon to, to round up troops, so to speak, in, the, in an ensemble, yeah. to, to be able to keep them uh, unified as a group, and um, you know, that takes a certain type of person who can make a decision on the spot like that.: right. So
0: so there is a genuine role in orchestra or, a, or a, an ensemble for a leader, because there tends to be the principal violinist who is the leader. Yes, but, yes mean, there is certainly it, is. Is there more than a symbolic
1: role, would you say? Um, I would say in this country, there is. I think that there, in, in Britain it's not only the, music, the skills as a musician and, a, and a instrumentalist that count, but it's also the way you handle a situation politically, um, like you keep the atmosphere good between the conductor and the orchestra. I've worked, I studied and worked in Europe, mainly in Stuttgart and uh, southern Germany, and it was interesting to see there how their orchestral leaders would just play their violin, and that was that. They didn't get involved in the political side of the of the profession in britain it's a much more varied role right. and there is more there's far more role of a diplomat involved uh, as than there is in germany for instance
0: right that's interesting so if you're leading an orchestra then and, and so there's quite a lot of, can there could be quite a lot of disagreement or
1: sort of conflict around can that happen yeah. um I do think that that is possible, particularly when the, the conductor um, is not so convincing. Right. And, and, and I think it degrees very often on the degree of arrogance on the part of the conductor. I think <laughs> many musicians cannot stand conductors,
0: yeah.
1: and, and, and uh, very often it's because they have a certain confidence um, but they may not have the talent to match that confidence. They, right. they have rather an inflated opinion of themselves. Many of them do. Yes. Of course, we all know there are some wonderful conductors around, and, and I think we all know them as soon as they stand in front of us. Right. In fact, the better the conductor very often... I, I'm sure you can draw many, many parallels with this and running a big company, for instance. Yeah. The better the conductor, mostly the, it seems to be that he has more... He trusts his team more. And um, and he actually says less than many of those conductors who have an inflated opinion of themselves, and they try to um, really keep the musicians in their place, never let them have too much of a say. Um, And so the musicians feel less appreciated. And the best conductors, I feel, they stand there, they're totally in tune with the music, and the message they want to be conveyed through that music they they focus on that and they basically I, they, the rhythm flows through them as a consequence yeah. musicians respond to rhythm and, and it, rhythm is something which is felt uh, in, in a corporate sense
0: yeah.
1: and um, so when you have one of these great conductors they hardly have to move as you know yourself Russell um, and, um, and they, just one little move of their little finger can be enough to steer the ship in the right direction. Yeah. And um, in other instances, you'll have one of these very um, dictatorial conductors with, the, with that uh, arrogance, I would say, and they try and suppress the musicians to make them feel inferior, and nobody gives... Of their best in these circumstances, yes. and this is very often the time when there's a, a lot of uh, the, you know an orchestra can feel as if it's on the verge of a mutiny, because they're they're dissatisfied amongst themselves, yes. and, and so you need in those positions you need leaders of the on of the various sections of the orchestras or principal violin or of the first violin group which is known as the leader altogether the orchestra you need somebody there who can diffuse such a situation right so so it's interesting
0: you were referring to the corporate world because in, f- in a funny sort of way you're right is there are parallels because actually two things we talk about in the corporate world which are um you know sometimes less is more you know sometimes yeah. saying knowing how to get out the way as yes. important as knowing
1: when to get in the way exactly yeah. and i mean when it comes to performing music as an art uh, or, or a means of uh, expression. That's that's what it's all about, anyway, isn't it? You know, there's got to be this balance between the the, the sort of higher self and the ego. And it's you,
0: and it's and it's interesting you say that because there's because that's very interesting. It's very laudable to say that, but yes. we both know the drudgery that of music, the musical life as well, which is where yes. there's some people at the front doing high art, and there's some people at the back of the violas or the third bassoon. Who's, yes. who's not feeling much art, they're just yes. playing the notes and doing the yes. best they can. And yes. that's the same in organisations where you have yes. you know the show-offs and the uh, sort of entertainers at the front leaping about. And yes. then the people at the back who are sort of doing, I mean, the spade work, I suppose, is the word for it. And, yes. and,
1: take, and you have
0: to bring all those bits together, don't you?
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think that the better, the more inspired the leader or the conductor or the director of the company, whatever, the more inspired, I think, his message Reeks. Uh, it reaches the, the the back of the ranks, so
0: to speak. And you, and that's interesting because by insp- inspired, you're not talking about charisma there. You're talking about something different on you because you, be, yes. you can be very charismatic but not inspired. Yes,
1: yes I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think uh, the message I'm talking about is the the purpose that the director or the conductor, the sense of purpose they have in wanting to convey the message in the music or in their company um, what role they play in society, and and how important that is to them. And and I think with, uh, with the greatest directors, the greatest leaders, full stop, that reaches the very, uh, to the far reaches, it reaches the, the ranks, so, as we've yeah, said. You yeah, know.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting in Resilience, we talk about this idea of having a very strong sense of purpose. Yes. So even if you're doing something you don't want to do at that moment in time, yes. if it fulfills some higher purpose, and sometimes that could be the art but sometimes yes. it's it's paying a mortgage, and yes. sometimes it's having you know sometimes it's funding enough to have children and all that sort of stuff. But yes. a strong sense of purpose situates you and gives you gives you a reason to do what you do in a, in a way.
1: Absolutely. It's Absolutely. one of the reasons.
0: It's one of the reasons I left the music industry because I couldn't fulfil my own sense of purpose. Yes. But I see so many parallels between um, the music industry and I mean the, the orchestral industry, particularly less so rock and pop. But because actually this this need to be able to perform consistently at a high level yes. over, and over and over and over and over and over again, every single day. Whereas... Yes,
1: and, and actually, I would say our profession is quite turbulent, isn't it? Very. Um, particularly in places like London, which there's so many things going on. Mm. Um, and I, I would say in London, the secret is is you have to keep your eggs in as many baskets as possible. Yeah. And, um, of course, if you have a full-time job in a symphony orchestra, you don't have much time to do anything else. But as a freelancer, I think you have to be prepared to drop anything to take up a particular job. You can, you know, for, for, for just for the day, for instance, you know, you can find yourself at the back of a string section, um, you know, playing a menial role, so to speak, one day, and the next day you could be up playing a concerto
0: as a soloist or something. So this needs to be flexible and adaptable. It has to be
1: flexible and adaptable, yeah. Yeah.
0: And so some of that's about parking your ego, I guess, and getting over yourself and and saying, well, actually, I'm just going to to do what's required today.
1: That's it, that's it, you know, because it can be a sort of soul-destroying thing sitting in the middle of a symphony orchestra. I think, you know, many people who listen to symphony orchestra, they hear this wonderful spectrum of sound and the power that it can convey and all these things. And they think that it must be an absolute thrill to every member of that orchestra to be carried along on this wave. Yeah. But they don't always understand, or the, and you know, how could they be expected to understand, what is on the other side, what it feels like to be on the stage sometimes. Yes. You, know, you could be with a terrible conductor that you don't uh, enjoy performing under, sitting in a very uncomfortable part on the stage, yeah. where you can hardly do, uh, use the whole bow um, and so, which is like a singer singing with restricted lung capacity, because you can't move your whole bow from one end to the other for fear of poking your neighbour or breaking your bow. Yeah. You know, um, this was so for the case in the Royal Festival Hall, as I'm sure you'll remember. You know, and uh, you know the conditions, small things like that, and how frustrating they can be to the people involved. And the other thing, and the other thing about that world is that,
0: however bad you feel, yeah, you have to turn up and you yes. have to play.
1: Yeah, that's it and you've got to do your very best
0: yeah and if sometimes you could be sitting there playing with a microphone on you if you're in the BBC or one of those recorded yes. orchestras yes. and literally someone can listen in to your
1: performance and, exactly and I mean like the, I mean, people the prom concerts now are, yeah. are having this system aren't they yeah.
0: well it's a bit like working I always think it's a bit like working at a call centre because if you're working at a call centre everyone can listen to exactly yes. what you do and it's interesting to think you've got something like that and something which is supposedly high art yes with the same performance change Challenges. Yes. You know, and I, I, you know, I, I remember stories of, you know, from times, times gone by where, you know, if someone decides that someone's under pressure, yes. then the, people are listen, having their performances listened back. And I mean, yes. that's the sort of pressure you don't get in the commercial world sometimes.
1: Absolutely not. And, um, and this has a huge uh, bearing on, on the nervous condition of musicians yeah. on yeah. the platform. You know, some people can't stand the nervous tension involved. Um, they have to take time off. Some others go on to beta blockers. Yeah. Um, which worse. is st- something I've always tried to avoid because I think if you do that, you're, you're creating a, a false reality. Uh, or you're, you're, I think it, it, it destroys creativity. Well, it's, int- it's
0: interesting you say that because in resilience terms, we always talk about the, the fact that you can create a performance yes. with the aid of... Um, third-party things like drugs, music, you know, whether it's alcohol or terrible prescription drugs or things like beta blockers or you actually use your own resilience, which is to use the tools and techniques available to you. Yes,
1: yes, and I I would say, you know, it's learning how to cope with adrenaline, isn't
0: it? Yes, it is. Well, it's it's learning also how to cope with fear. Because actually, you know, if you've never done it, it's hard to, to think about standing up in a symphony hall with 3,000 people looking at you yes. and playing on your own. And knowing that just about everybody sitting there knows every note you're going to play. So yes. if you go wrong, it's, it could be exciting. So yes. this leads me on to the fact that you also are a concert soloist and yes. um, quite good, so I've heard, Peter. <laughs> I wouldn't and, know. Um, and um, joking aside, because you're very good indeed. And, um, and not just that, but
1: you also play on cruise ships. Yes, I do. And in fact, Russell, why don't we tell everybody this is how we were reunited after how many decades? It was quite a long time, yeah. Yeah, and just strolling along the promenade deck on, I believe it was the crown princess, wasn't it? It was. We were going Um,
0: from Southampton to
1: uh, America
0: or something, weren't we?
1: Or was it going around Scotland? I or around the British Isles. I can't remember now. No, I think from you. Well, I... You, you,
0: we did the rest of the voyage. So you were, you were kicked uh-uh. off. <laughs> yeah, I was there just for a segment. Yeah, yeah. So you were, you were the big, you were the, uh, you were the big turn for the week, weren't you? And um, so well, well, let's talk a bit about that because actually, yes. most people don't understand that.
1: Yeah, well, this some is some of the musicians cause...
0: on the cruise ships are highly skilled. I mean, the proper, the proper musicians, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. You know,
1: I mean, um. I you you'll hear a lot of people. Um, who, I'm not Russell. I'm not sure if there's a technical problem now. I'm hearing myself twice. No,
0: just keep going. If
1: it's okay. There. Yeah. yeah, there. I meet a lot of people who say to me, "Oh, you'll never find me on one of those ships." Yeah. Meaning the very well, such as the Grand Princess, which does look a bit like a block of flats. Yeah on water, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always say to them, you never know until you try. Yeah. And actually, <clears throat> whereas it might appear that those can be some of the most um, impersonal, ex- uh, it could be most impersonal experience, going amongst thousands of people, it can also be the opposite. And it, you know, and you have so many skills uh, on board. You know, you have crew and staff of virtually every nationality, Um, You have musicians who have led full-time careers in their individual countries, highly experienced, and maybe they've reached the point where they needed a change in their lives. And maybe they felt that in following their daily routine jobs that they may have had or not, or or as in my case, the the freelancing side of it, it gets a point where it can get on top of you. And when you have this opportunity to go on board a big ship like this. It's something which opens up so many different horizons.
0: And you're, and you're doing headline shows,
1: aren't you? I'm so doing headline doing shows, yes. So basically, it's very funny the way I got into this at all. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you, um, Russell, but basically I think I can lay claim to the fact that I must be the world's first barbershop violinist.
0: All right.
1: <laughs> because um, I, I literally I went along to hairdressers. My friends are a barber shop. I was pushed inside the door by my friends actually saying, you should have your hair cut here. And um, this was just behind the English National Opera in Bedford Street in the West End in Covent Garden in London. And the uh, barber shop called Petros's hair, uh, Hairdresser.
0: Yeah.
1: And Petros, of course, the Greek name for Peter, which is my name anyway. Yeah. So I went to my own Peter's hairdressers and um, they saw my violin. And they said, come on, give us a tune. So I did. I took the violin out and played them a few Greek melodies because they were a Greek Cypriot family. Yeah. And, um, and then this sort of became tradition. Over the next five years, I would go along to this barber shop, and uh, when I was waiting, uh, they'd say, come on, give us a tune. And I, more often than not, I would. Occasionally, I'd be in a bad mood and I'd say, leave me alone. But th- this is how it came about and there were people, that would come up with some requests one day a man, a man was sitting there saying, do you know this title or that title? Uh, which I happened to know and embellished it a bit and he took my details. But, you know, this happened quite a few times and then like one day the phone rang and, the, and, and a man answered the phone, uh, spoke to me and said, um, hello, this is Gary Parks here and uh, I fix headline artists for the big cruise lines and uh, we think we may have something for you but it's not necessarily classical. And, of course, this is why I'd say, you know, it pays to be versatile and to, to be able to play in a variety of different styles. Yeah. So I said to him, look, I, I've heard all about this because I've heard what people generally say about cruise ships. Oh, you won't find me on one of those things. I said, I don't think I would really fit in there. I'm supposed to be sort of a bit like Liberace on the violin and, and floating around the auditorium sitting on ladies laps and serenading them, and I said, I don't think it's me, and they said, give us a chance, let us explain. So I went along to Gary Parts' office a couple of days later, where he and his partner agent explained what it was about, and I said, well look, I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not, um, but if you'll accept me on my own terms, I'll give it a go, which is what I did, and the first cruise went very, very well, it was also for princess cruises, and it went on from there and they virtually filled my books for the next 10 years or so wow. and and this led to my being reunited with you it led to my dear friend Paula Roger from New York who's sitting with me in the room now um you know who's a, who's absolutely adores every type of music she taught music in New York in the Bronx for 30 40 years and loves the music of corn yes. who most of many of you are listening uh, your audience now will know through having watched all the Hollywood blockbusters and Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. You know, all these things. It's so interesting. I've met so many wonderful people on the ships. And it all came And it all came from something that a
0: lot of musicians wouldn't have done. They, they wouldn't do. Have, they wouldn't have got the violin out in the first That's place. That's it. In the That's... barber shop.
1: That's it. See, I've not—I've rarely been inhibited about that. I mean, <laughs> another thing: my father used to run a roof tile company. Yeah. For, he managed it managed it for the last ten years of his working life. And so, who was poking through a hole in a badly repaired roof on a carnival float going up St Albans High Street? But yours truly, with the caption there saying, you don't want a fiddler on your roof. <laughs> and of course, once the house had rolled by, there was a big smiling face painted on it and saying, with the caption, another happy roof. Thanks <laughs> to Webster and Dane. You know, so, I mean, I have played everywhere. I played at airports. I remember once I came back, uh, my, my teacher at the Royal College of Music, uh, Mrs. Vanucheck. And uh, you'll remember those names, Vanya Vanyacek, and, and Kvieta. She had managed to arrange for me to go to um, Crete. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I ever, tra- I ever flew, actually, to Crete to supervise the practising of two um, little girls whose whose parents um, were keen that you know that they should keep the standards up through the holidays. So I went for a week or so um, to Crete. To two weeks it was, and on the way back there was a. There was a baggage handler strike at Heathrow Airport. Right. So everybody was just waiting and waiting and waiting. So we took our fiddles out and we entertained. Yeah. You know, so I'm all for it. I remember once the uh, guy travelling down to Plymouth and the National Express um, coach broke down um, on, the, on the M4. So I took the people said, give us a tune. So I did. <laughs> You know, and this was like 11:30 at night, and we had to wait into the early hours for somebody to come along.
0: And you see, and you see, Peter, I, I you, you take that for granted, and yeah. but, but I think the first time you've done that, there must have been some fear. But yes. obviously, the more you've done it, you've built your confidence. You know yes. what to play. Oh, and, absolutely! And, and it's and it's like anyone who's yes, who's who's, who's a you know master of their craft. You, Definitely, you build your confidence through practice and yes. through rehearsal. And we'll come on to that in a minute, actually. Um, Tell me one last bit of them, because I know you're a a big jazz person. Yes. Well, you're not necessarily a big jazz person, but you've got some very, very interesting jazz connections, haven't you? Yes,
1: yes, I do. And, I mean, this all came through being at the Royal College of Music, where we met one another. And one of my closest friends there, and, and, and then and now, and her name's Sarah Watts, she's now Sarah Shrimpton, she was a wonderful musician. she specialized in bassoon in those days um, now she she plays virtually every instrument under the sun and she writes music musicals for for young people, which have been performed in the school 's proms she 's done so much and written a whole sequence of books called Rama jazz to you know to make learning fun for young, for young people yeah and um, now she was my whole um, she, she led to my introduction to the Dankworth family, to, uh, to John Dankworth and Cleo Lane. First of all, um, John Dankworth's sister, Avril, who was a pianist and ran music camps in, in Wavenden, yeah. Milton Keynes, where, where Cleo still lives to this day. And um, so I became involved in that world. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, one thing led to another, and I, I ended up playing in... And John and Cleo's Christmas show in Wavendon, in, in the theatre in Milton Keynes. Um, well, it's called the Stable Theatre in Wavendon. Um, for 36 years, I have played for their Christmas show, and it's been a priority in my life. And I'm—it's been something I've learned so much from.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, um, they're incredible musicians. They—they they were crossover with Cleo, still is uh, crossover musicians to the highest, uh, highest level. Yeah. you know. And
0: and it's fascinating just seeing your range from and you know from symphony symphony halls the sort of the the standard repertoire cruise yes. ships doing all this weird stuff and yes. I know you do very esoteric chamber music and yes. jazz and such like this flexibility is amazing and I don't think people understand the um, the amount of work and effort and practice and rehearse we we talk a lot in um training in, in the corporate world about yes. people going on training courses and they leave and then yes. they have a go and then they put it aside. But well, yes. in the in, uh, in the music world, you have to practice every... Well, I don't know if you still practice every day, but I'm guessing you do, because you have to maintain a standard. Yeah, daily. I mean,
1: I do... I practice as often as I absolutely can, and sometimes that may mean going through the night. Yeah. You know, um, it, we all know what it's like, you know, and you certainly must know what it's like having to organise companies, and, uh, to, you know, you're, you're concentrating on a million things at the same time, so it's a big juggling act, isn't it? Yeah. And um, so you do have to practice. I mean, you get the very rare okay, uh, the rare talent um, of somebody who's just born with the ability to play. I know one of them, I'm always talking about Ida Hendel, aren't I? Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, who believes in reincarnation. She picked up her sister's violin when she was, I think it was three and a half, and immediately started playing a Russian folk song that their mother sang them. And she said, she says, I'd done it all before. Wow. You know, so you get those rare instances, but... Most of us have to practice if we want to improve or or, uh, maintain the focus in what we're doing. And and I I think what you've talked about, too, about this, uh, what hard work it is. It's hard work in every sense. And, And as we've already talked about, the fear involved. You know, some people, they take to the stage like a duck to water. And they have no inhibitions. They don't even get nervous. They just go there and it's fine. But there are others for whom going up on that stage you're revealing something very you know deeply personal about yourself you're it's as they say it's like you're naked on stage yes people can hear if if you know if you're any type of artist they can hear what you're projecting or not yes and they will know if you're holding yourself back and it's interesting how much
0: and there's a lot of men and obviously as well as women in the musical profession, but you have to be in you have to actually manage your emotions. You have to be in touch with you have to be slightly more self aware than the average because you have to A be aware of yourself, but you're also yes. projecting the emotion of the music and the ensemble and the group yes. and such like and um, and this idea of really being in tune with your body, knowing how your body works as yes. well as your emotional self is yes. actually it's 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 part it's something we just I don't know it's something I'm sure you take for granted now, but for for a lot of people they're not
1: they're not really that aware of their emotional yes. states yes. in their
0: body and such like
1: Yeah, I always say it's like the Holy Trinity body, mind, and spirit. They have to function perfectly as a trio. And if either one of those three is present to excess, the balance is upset and there's a block and things won't flow. And I think that's basically what we're all aiming at all the time, that you have this combination of elements at play and you're trying to almost just let the natural energy flow and, of course, the intellect has to be there. But, you know, the, I remember the opera singer Maria Callas. She would talk about performing. And, and everybody respected what a great artist she was and a great actress. And she said, that they, somebody asked her, they said, how, how come you're such an amazing actress? And she said, I just listen. I listen with my heart. And the mind does work. But not too much. Yes. And I think that was a very interesting thing to say, that she realised that she... The emo- it was almost the feelings that they had to flow. But, of course, the intellect has to work to keep the, the ship steered in the right direction.
0: And, and, that's, and that's interesting, because, again, in resilience terms, we talk about this idea of flow. You talk about this idea of you suspending almost your ability to think. You just let it happen. You sort of get out, you get over yourself and get out of the way of yourself. Yes, you do. And you you just get on with it sometimes. Exactly.
1: And it takes a courage to take that. It's more than taking a step, it's making a little jump, I would say. And, you know, if you're really scared and frightened about something, sometimes somebody can come along and say, smack their hands and say, come on, get on with it. And then you, you forget yourself and you get out there and you may tremble for a while, but you're in the flow of things. Suddenly the adrenaline is, is, is led to flow and, and it's knowing how to divert that energy and to channel that energy. And okay. it's,
0: now, Peter, you're hitting something that's very interesting here because you are, there are very... Well, I don't think there are many instances of people who go on stage not nervous and end up coming off more nervous. Yeah. So it's nearly always the anxiety of the yes. performance. Because actually, once you get going and you talk to professional speakers, and they say the same thing, but the thing with fear is is, it stops you somehow, and you have to break through that. Yes. And you see people being physically sick on the sides of uh, concert halls, you know, and you see people being drunk sometimes, you know, whatever it may be. But actually, once you start, you're usually okay. And I always think it must be terrifying in the Mendelssohn Violinca chair at such a quiet start yes um, yeah. or the Sibelius you know but, yeah. but because you want something bomb storming to get you going exactly
1: in but, but here and it's these quiet moments that they demand more energy and control than anything else yes. I think people think that when you go on a stage and you just whisper something that it takes no energy on the contrary those moments are the ones that need the greatest projection. Yeah.
0: And, it's, and people, people might wonder why, you know, wonder when in a sort of corporate working sense how this works, but if you're going to do a presentation or you're yes. going to go into a room and handle a big negotiation, for example, okay. and, you know, a lot's riding on it, yes. then you will, fe- you will feel the same emotion. You will
1: feel the feeling of feelings of fear and anxiety. Yeah, I'm sure. Because, you know, you feel there's a lot to, at stake if yeah. you lose from yeah, exactly. that presentation. And um, so, therefore, I think there's the parallel here that you need to have your technique.
0: Yeah.
1: You need to have worked at your technique. You need to work at your presentation skills. Yeah. Um, and for us, it's a contr- it's, our technique is how we control our instrument, for instance. We need to know the physics of, of what is involved in drawing a violin or a viola bow across the strings. Yeah and um, how you produce different colours, how you play loud and soft. So, so, so,
0: sorry to butt in, because yeah. you and I can chat for hours and just Absolutely. about this one subject. And um, yeah. one of the things, I, one of the things so, so there's two things I want to talk about, one which is, in a performance, when you're playing, and this is the same yeah. as if you're negotiating or whatever it might be, in the yes. lot, what happens if you make a
1: mistake? What happens if you go wrong? What, what do you, Let's what do say, you As, do as you, do? you say, the show must always go on. Right. So the main thing is you keep playing, yeah. Don't care what you're playing. Just play something, yeah. you know. And, and I think that's very often, that can be the time when you really open up and become yourself. Yeah. Um, and it can be through what you think is a mistake. I remember John Dankworth, a musician, he, I trying to think if it was Duke Ellington he was quoting, who would say, um, what's important about playing jazz is that if you feel you make a mistake, it's how you come out of it. Right. You can make sense of what you consider to be a mistake in that moment. You can suddenly turn things around so actually it can be a moment of glory. Right. Uh, and I think, that's, you can, I think that can only really happen if you're truly in control of your art or your craft or profession, whatever it is. You need to know all the elements which are involved and to be in control of them. And and I think also for musicians it can be very difficult. They say how it's possible to over-prepare and over-practice. Because I do think that you can learn a theory um, out of fear, thinking, well, I'm going to learn the formula so it will be fail-safe when I get up there on the stage in the moment of truth. And and what they do in over-preparing, and over-rehearsing, it's like you create a little... Cage for yourself, yes it can 't get out of yes it 's a cage of fear as well, because you 're afraid to to become open to the the real quality of life and living now it 's interesting you say that because um, we 're not long
0: after the Euro- european um, the usual um, England football team performance which ends up with us leaving a tournament early so yes. this could be a new yes. year in the last 25 years Yes. Um, but, but what's interesting is this idea that there is too much fear now there's this, there's the pressure creates so much, p- p- players play yes. with fear and yes. so because they play with fear they tend to underperform and they get the, they get the self-fulfilling prophecy playing through and yes. you have to have this belief
1: that you can do what you're doing yes, and I to think believe. maybe it's your, you have to feel that you're living for the moment all the time right, that's interesting and I think that's essential in art, isn't it? In 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 music, certainly. Well, it's interesting, also this
0: rise of mindfulness. I don't know how this has gone into the music profession, but this idea of this sort of came from the Buddhist world. But this idea of living in the now or in the moment, without yes. judgment, so you're just able to let go. Yes. And concentrate on the task at hand, really. So, so what happens if you've made a mistake? It's interesting. The way you you have this situated in your head as a the possibility for the triumph. I think I've never heard of the. I've never heard of it said that way before. It's very interesting. But what happens if you do a duff performance afterwards? I mean, are you down in the dumps? How, how do you... How, oh, yes. What methods so, I mean, do you use you, to sort of come back from that?
1: Of course, you, you will be down in the dumps. Um, you know, I think even if you felt that you had excelled after that point, you would still feel that you'd let yourself down to some degree. Right. But I think that all you can say to yourself is that you're human. Yes. And we're not robots. And that we've done our best, and you have to try to learn from that experience. Try and analyse what went wrong. Was it merely a slip of the memory? Um, Which you know, we if we're performing by heart in music, you know, that's one of the things involved, isn't it? That yeah, playing for memory, yeah, playing for memory, and you have to have confidence in that. Yeah, but again, you need to be fully prepared to do that. So maybe. The fact that you made this mistake was because you weren't fully prepared, you know. So it's such a delicate balance all the time. Yeah, but basically, whatever happens, if you do
0: a duff performance, you've got to get back. You've on got it. You've got to get out and do it again, haven't you?
1: Exactly. Yeah, and you mustn't. You you mustn't let anything deter you from doing that. You just have to, I think, as quickly as possible, just get back up there.
0: Yeah.
1: And back into the swing of it. And, um, and don't let it destroy your ultimate love for what you're doing.
0: Yes.
1: And I, I mean, for us, that's so important in music, isn't it? I mean, it's really the only thing that fuels you. I always say that as a musician, uh, you have no choice. Yes. Uh, and when I hear young people say to me, you know, who they may be multi-talented, and they'll say, I don't know whether to go for law, medicine or music. Yes. I say, well, forget the music. Yes. For one thing, because if you think you're going to have anything like the remuneration that you will have from those other two professions, forget it. Yes. Unless you're one of the very privileged few who happens to strike it as a a star, and we all know we all know the. Um, Yes. Significance of being a celebrity these days. Celebrity culture is everything, and the rest of us can all be swept under the carpet as, well, as far as the general public are concerned. In many cases,
0: no, just just go, I know you're going to start on one of your rants now. going to so yeah, Stop yeah. you as you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but good, what good, you good, said good. there was interesting because what you said is that musicians have to love what they're doing. But actually, in motivation terms for people in the corporate world, yes. you know, the pride in their job, doing their job, is one of the is one of the great motivators. Yes. And you know, I, I mean, I know there's a different correlation with the sort of the remuneration in corporate worlds but actually that you you find people who are very unhappy who are well paid but don't actually physically enjoy what they do yes and you know that can lead to stress it can lead to illness and such like and there's a nice sweet spot between earning what you need and that doesn't mean that you have to need a lot and enjoying what you do and I think I remember my father saying to me you know when I was Going into the music profession wouldn't be great to do something you really loved. Yes, you know, be, and you know he was a plumber, uh, but actually he had took immense pride in his job. Yes, and and pride immense pride in his work, and of course he did enjoy his job, and he did yes. actually. Th- it was just a different thing he he did.
1: Yeah, yeah. No. And, actually, and actually today he would probably be earning a lot more than many musicians. Yes,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. i
1: get out of bed for what we earn half the time. Isn't that ironic?
0: Isn't that yeah, ironic? yeah. And so from that moment until this, you've yes. been sort of freelancing and yes. and making your way Yes. Um, you know, fi- finding opportunities, opportunities presenting themselves to you, investing yes. in the future through you know free things like playing in barber through to whatever it might be. But in a funny yes. sort of way, you've never really known too far ahead what, no, I what you're going to be doing. That's a very exactly. it's a very
1: difficult lifestyle, that isn't it? Well, it is, and it's funny because one of the last things um, Professor Vanijek said to me at Royal College of Music in my last official lesson there, he said, "Always take what they offer you." You know, so uh, and I suppose you could say never look a gift horse in the mouth. Yes. You know, and I've tended to follow that rule, and only in more recent years where I feel maybe I've slogged enough to afford myself just a few little luxuries, a a bit more liberty to to focus on my own, um, you know, genuine interests. Yes. And um, but you know, I've had to work very hard. Yeah. Like so many of us, you know, to reach that point. And, and in a way,
0: you know, that's, that's the message here. And I talk to people and I listen to people in the internet world and, and they talk about being an overnight sensation. But they don't yeah. realize that there was 10 years work to becoming it's that talk, overnight yeah. sensation, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And it's 10 years work, of, as we talked about, of going through the fear and, and um, you've got to go through the fire. Yeah. You have to go through the fire if you really want to get something out of it, I think. Anything that really is meaningful, that um, in which you discover more about yourself and about life. You've got to put in the hard work. Yes. You know, I think there are very few people who are just born with certain qualities and lucky. And then they may not even appreciate what they have. Yes. So...
0: And it's, it's an interesting message, isn't it, this idea of hard work, because it seems to have left us a little bit. There's a sort of, you mentioned, and I don't want to encourage you too much to go down the celebrity thing, but the, the, this idea of instant celebrity, instant fame. It, we've yeah. almost forgotten this idea of... Yes. Do the hours. Learn your craft. Practice. Rehearse. Yes. Yes. Then, when you get it wrong, then you just you continue because it's, when getting it wrong is just part of the constant development curve of Jeez. getting towards something that's better, really. And exactly. it sounds esoteric, and we're, we're making it sound like high art, but it doesn't matter whether the, you're a salesman, or it doesn't Everything. matter whether you're a customer contact centre. It's the same thing. It's that pride it in what you do.
1: It is because we've talked about it. You know, uh, in the orchestra, you have there's the mundane, menial side of it, for instance. Yeah. You know, it, and as you said, it's no different from being, you know, um, a member of a big company where you may consider you're a very small cog in a huge piece of machinery.
0: I still remember being a lay Mis and yes. you know, doing the same show eight days a week or eight yeah. times a week and yeah. I mean that is no, no and you staying to us the same sort of level of standard every single night maintaining yes. that performance night after night whether you want to whether you're well yes. whether you're unwell whether you can be bothered whether you can be bothered whether you know whatever it is and that for me yes. is like working in a customer call centre you have to de- develop this This relentlessness. Yes. Some other stoicism of just getting over yourself and just getting on and doing it. And still for me today, if I'm running training courses I don't want, it's just like standing up and, you know, being out of sorts and, you know, having a crack at a concerto he yes. said yes. as if we can compare those two things you yes I mean.
1: yeah I understand totally
0: yeah. so, so Peter that's been absolutely fantastic and um, I mean I know and um, people who don't know us very well and don't know that we can sit and chat for hours and hours for and hours press. exactly so, yeah. and
1: I'm, I, I I'm, hope that I've conveyed really you know we've well, lifted what the lid
0: like to you've lifted the lid on the corner of a, you know, I think a, an, an amazing life and, um, and people probably at this stage, if they don't know you don't know how brilliant you are and, um, and those of you who've heard you will know that. But for those, for those of you who'd like to um, get in touch with you or you know, access some of your recordings or, or maybe even see, because I know you, you work with a chamber of music. I mean, how, how can people start to get in touch with you? How can they find uh, you out? How I can you find you on the web?
1: A, I have a website, which is right. all in one word, yeah. in the case, Peterfisher.eu, for oh. Europe, of course. So don't go on to that subject now. No, don't. And um, and then my now my chamber ensemble of London. This is a, it's a string orchestra. Yeah. We vary in size from anything from like eight players to fifteen or twenty two. Was the last one of the one of our last um, combinations. And um, so we do we play around the country. We focus in London, but that, so that ensemble is called Chamber Ensemble of London. I, and I think it's chamberensembleoflondon.co.uk. But if people just Google me, yeah. then they, Peter Fisher, British violinist, comes up.
0: Yeah, and, we, and, and we'll obviously do some links from our site to yours yes, and such yeah. as well. Yes,
1: they, they can get onto my website. There, they can leave a message through my website, uh, and I, we have a Facebook page as well for Chamber Ensemble of London. Yeah. Um, and yes, I think that's probably the best way. Um, and we do have CDs. We've just released a new one called British Serenade, right. um, which is it's uh, it's been uh, pressed or what do you say released by the Heritage Company. It's called Heritage. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a CD which I uh, I recorded along with a fellow Peter called Peter Hewitt. Yeah. So and uh, it's called encore encore CD is a collection of of shorter pieces. Yes. Many of them very romantic in spirit and virtuosic, so a bit of flair and show off involved in it. Yeah. Absolutely beautifully written by the greatest violinists of the, well, between the 18th and the 20th century, I would say.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and that will be a very nice introduction to people because there are so many different styles there. The music that we've tended to record for the chamber ensemble has been very much on a British theme. Yeah. Yeah, Set in Silver actually is a good one because it's a double CD and it has our original, our first recording and, and one of our most recent recordings and such a spectrum of styles.
0: It's been fascinating to to get to know you better, Peter, and hopefully for the audience to get to know you a little. Maybe try some of Peter's music. Go and have a look. Don't be daunted by the fact it's classical if you're not in a classical background. Exactly. Yeah, music's for everybody. There's tons to take away from the business world, and there's so many interesting things there, and we've got to know you a bit better, and I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll be hearing from you
1: again. Who knows? I hope very much. It's been a pleasure, Russell. Thank you very much. Take care. All the best.
0: enjoyed today's episode. Resilience Unraveled helps you create performance on purpose and you can find out more about us and resilience at qedod.com forward slash resilience or listen to more of our podcasts. You can also find out more about our courses, our webinars and free resources like ebooks and paid for courses at qedod.com. Otherwise, we hope you can enjoy more of our podcasts in the future.